All right. Welcome back, everybody. Jiu-Jitsu Motivation Podcast. I'm Greg Melita, Black Belt Second Degree, owner of Hamptons Jiu-Jitsu. And I am Brian DeLuca, Black Belt First Degree and author of Jiu-Jitsu for Small People and other weird shit I think about. <laughs> yeah, congrats on that first degree, Brian. Awesome. Thank man. you. Thank you. Um, yeah, uh, guys, really awesome guest today, uh, a guy that I've been following for a lot of years, even in the uh, the fitness industry and the CrossFit uh, world, too, when I was back in there that, and back in the day. Uh, Rob Wolf, really appreciate you coming on, man. Huge honor to be here. I will bring down property values anywhere people are foolish enough to let me in. So, <laughs> so yeah, just want to give you a, a quick shout out, man. Element, uh, love the product. Um, that's part of why I wanted to bring you on here too is uh, even just in general in the jiu-jitsu community, uh, not enough gets said about in general nutrition, you know, just uh, for recovery, all of that. But even beyond that, people that get deep into nutrition have no idea the needs of recovery via electrolytes. Yeah. It, and it's kind of funny, you know, how many people have, you know, been incapacitated from like a toe cramp while rolling. And, and, uh, uh, that is actually a sign that they were so far down the, the, the hole, the pit of electrolyte insufficiency that, it, you know, like once you start cramping, you have been for, for, maybe hours like loss of fine motor skill loss of of as good of critical thinking you know kind of brain fog lethargy fatigue like once you start cramping it, it's the the wheels have fallen off the wagon and there's mm -hmm. all this other performance stuff that is being damaged ahead of that you know and you think about like drilling and skill acquisition and all this type of stuff is all suboptimal when um when electrolytes are are inadequate and and we're not functioning properly and i i could almost make the case that um and you alluded to this before we we started recording like all of our energy is produced by sodium potassium pumps like that is like the fundamental currency of life and so you could maybe make the case that if you're unwilling to address like good diet that you should at least pay attention to your electrolytes. So, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I just even, you know, recently have not really realized the importance. And obviously, the more years you are, whether it's, you know, uh, general fitness, CrossFit, Jiu-Jitsu, I mean, the years add up into your body. And then how many years you're not paying attention to your electrolyte intake, um, it's pretty surprising. I, I, I just didn't realize in general, people, I think, in society have this negative view of just salt in general, like, oh, mm -hmm. you know, you just want no, you know, uh, be careful. Uh, but I mean, if you're any way active and especially if you're following specific dietary guidelines, whether it be, you know, um, paleo, you know, whatever anybody's following, uh, you actually need more electrolytes than you think. And, yeah. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's funny because, um, most folks get the bulk of their sodium from processed foods. So if you shift to eating a less processed diet, it doesn't matter whether it's high carb or low carb, you're almost guaranteed to dramatically reduce your sodium intake. And uh, it, it's uh, it gets out in the weeds a little bit uh, physiologically, but it's it's arguable that it's much more important to make sure that your sodium is adequate because your kidneys are able to kind of sort out saving potassium, saving magnesium so long as sodium is adequate. But if sodium is insufficient, 
the body will then start dumping potassium and magnesium in this horrible downward spiral to try to normalize the relative ratios of sodium and potassium. And, and this is where people can end up hospitalized or, or potentially dead. This is, um, you know, when folks are just like they've got the gallon of water and they're, they're, right. they're drinking on it, you know, and you really see this with um, – triathlon in particular, but some of these obstacle course races, you know, multi-hour obstacle course races where folks are are only using water or they're using a hydration product that just doesn't have enough sodium. And I mean, like, I would argue that pickle juice would be a far better option for the vast majority of people than like 99% of the, the hydration options or just going super old school and doing like a salt tablet and chewing on that and then sipping on water as per... Uh, you know, thirst would be a better strategy for for most people to avoid that hyponatremia, the low the low sodium environment, which literally could be life threatening. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like when you're drinking and you're an athlete and you're convinced by what you research that you need, you know, gallon of water a day or whatever, you're actually flushing out. Like you right. said, you're flushing right. out what you actually need. You're to possibly be. making it worse. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, which is, you know, absolutely insane for years. Just, oh yeah, just a lot of water, a lot of water. And then, oh, a Gatorade, which is, you know, that's actually is going to slow down the process of getting electrolytes in your body because there's sugar in there, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, element has like a specific ratio, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, so we have a gram of, of sodium. Actually, I've got a box here, so this may end up being backwards, but like we have a a thousand milligrams of sodium, gram of sodium, 200 of potassium, uh, 60 of magnesium. When Gatorade first came out, it used to have a gram of sodium per, per, you know, uh, serving. And over wow. time, the sugar One has gone gram. up and the sodium has gone down. Yeah. Uh, so when it first came out, Gatorade was really pretty, pretty awesome, particularly for its time, because yeah. it, it actually had adequate sodium. But over time, we've gotten more scared of sodium and kind of more accepting of sugar, ironically, and um, probably not to our benefit. That's for well, I sure. I think Gatorade also sort of became like a kid's drink. Let's be honest. You know, went yeah, down, it really did. You know, really I'm not did. trying to yeah. bash Gatorade because I'm with you. When it first came out, it was like groundbreaking, right? And now it's yeah. like what you put in your kid's lunch because you don't want to give them a juice box, you know? Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So actually, so I mean, you know, I, I just love the product. And like I said, I got it even before I knew it was, it was you and having been following you for years. Um you know, just really cool to see that and the awareness of that just being way more. But I think, you know, the jujitsu community should be embracing this a lot more. I, I don't think you see enough of that. You see a lot of nutrition, but you don't see specifically recovery and just adequate levels of electrolytes being pushed in the jujitsu community. And, uh, you know, going back in history a little bit, I didn't even know my friend, that you did jujitsu until recently. How insane is that? So we just figured we needed to have you on because I just <laughs> knew you as the you know nutrition guy when I did CrossFit back in the day and in the fitness industry. I had no idea you trained, and I'm like, oh man, we got to get this guy on. So go talk a little bit about your personal jujitsu journey, how that interlinked, how that start. Oh man, it's a uh, it, it it's kind of a, a a cool story in a way. Um, I was living in Long Beach, California back in the, the early 90s, around uh, 92 through 94, and I was doing Thai boxing. I, I had gone down there to do some some JKD because I was just, you know, you know, young guy interested in Bruce Lee, you know, uh, uh, went to the Inasano Academy, was doing some Kali Eskrima, 
uh, some of the Thai boxing, a little bit of the um, uh, what's the French kickboxing deal? Uh, Sealot, uh, Sealot, right? No, uh, oh no, that's something. Something with an S. Yeah, that's all. I yeah, yeah. So, so I was doing all that type of stuff and and really enjoying it. And then I had heard about like the Gracie Challenge. You know where there there was like a hundred thousand dollars for you know if you could beat these guys in in you know unarmed combat and everything and it was kind of interesting and there was all kinds of you know discussion around it and then the UFC happened and it was right around literally around that time that this guy Carlos came came to the gym that we were at and he was a purple belt in uh, under the the Gracies at the time he was from Brazil and he was just kind of showing us his wares and mm-hmm. I had never felt more helpless in my life. Like I had, I had a couple of years of wrestling in grade school and high school, nothing to write home about, but just enough so that I was really good at like building base and turning in. And, and, you know, when you build base as a wrestler, like there's, there's necks and arms and stuff galore (laughs) for somebody who knows jujitsu to, to harvest, you know, but I had just never, I had never felt as helpless in a a situation as as I had been. And he was about my size. You know, there were definitely, I was never a great Thai boxer, but I was okay. And, and, you know, you could at least like ball up and, and, you know, have some sort of defense there. But it, it, the interesting thing was that the harder I tried to go against this guy, the worse my situation became. And that, that was obvious, like right from the beginning. And the, the best analogy I've had to this is like a wood chipper, like if you if you've got a big bushy branch with with, you know, kind of, kind of spidery leaves and, and stuff at the end, if you've got a really good wood chipper, you can kind of stick that in it and still get it back. But if you really jam the whole thing in there, it just it takes the whole fucking thing and it's gone. And that's mm-hmm. the way it felt with this guy. If I went really hard, it was worse than if I like sat back and relaxed, you know, and I was yeah. like, how does this work? Um, so that was 1993, 1994. Wow. And I had a choice at that point. I had an opportunity. I went and did a little bit of training like at the, the school in Torrance. And I was also doing a little bit of judo with this guy, John Ogden, who was like this judo, you know, like demigod within uh, Olympic judo circles. But it was really close to getting my Thai boxing certification as a, as a coach. And I mm. focused on that, which I, I, I'm glad in some ways that I did and kind of horrified that I, I did that because I didn't really get to do jujitsu again until like 2004 because there just wasn't much around. I, I moved out of Los Angeles, went up to Chico, California, eventually went up to Seattle. And there was a little bit of jujitsu here and there, but it was always like nobody at that point really owned their own schools. It was always a Brazilian guy who was renting space from a karate school. And it was at like nine 30 at night on alternating Tuesdays. And, and uh, I I could just never pull this stuff off. But in 2004, I I was actually introduced to uh, John Frankel, who is, uh, I think he's, I forget what, what degree black belt he is now, but he's had his black belt for like 22 years now. And, um, 
he was introduced to me by Greg Glassman, the founder of CrossFit. And so John wanted to open an MMA and jujitsu school. And I was looking at moving out of Seattle and opening a CrossFit facility. So he introduced John and I, and I got to train with John a little bit at that time, but I was running the CrossFit school and I was also the, kind of the head coach of a Capoeira group. And so mm -hmm. I was, again, just like this, this time crunch, you know, and couldn't really do all that much. And so then we have to skip forward to 2012 was when I started actually in a concerted fashion doing doing jujitsu and have been pretty consistent over the the intervening 10 years now and I, I got my brown belt October of of last year or the wow. yeah October of last year yeah yeah you've, you've done like like dude that's like 10 martial arts you've listed <laughs> that's like pretty crazy that's pretty well-rounded man yeah 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 it's been a lot of fun and I I mean I was never the guy that uh w one thing I learned is that I I like doing this stuff because I just like movement and I like learning there are people who um really like fighting and like they can turn a switch that I, I, I have to be like getting mugged or my kids getting, you know, attacked or something to turn that switch. And right. so they, I think that this is why I was kind of I was OK at Thai boxing, but not great. Like there were people that were just like killers. Yeah, <laughs> I was never that person. So, um, you know, I, I love doing this stuff, but it's definitely um, jujitsu in particular is just where. I get my community like we we moved to this Kalispell area of Montana because the Straight Blast Gym organization that we're a part of, there's three phenomenal schools within a 30 minute drive here. You know, there's like mm. 600, 600 members within this this mm. uh, Flathead Valley area that we're able to hang out with and our kids get to know. And so um, when we were thinking about relocating out of uh, first Reno and then Texas like that, the the having a good jujitsu community was like the, the deciding factor in where we decided to move. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and, and I, I had discovered you, like I was saying years ago, we were chatting before we started, we, um, frequented a lot of competitions in Santa Cruz, specifically there was mm -hmm. the U S open and I competed there in the U S open It's blue belt It's purple belt. And I remember in 2007, uh, in Santa Cruz, which I love that town. Um, Everybody at the tournament at the uh, U.S. Open for jiu-jitsu was wearing CrossFit shirts. Now, right, right. This is 2007, yeah. let alone did I realize that uh, Santa Cruz was the birthplace of CrossFit. Right. You know, via Greg Glassman. And then I go home. I'm like, what the hell is this CrossFit thing? I look up, and then what's the first thing that pops up is what is fitness, you know? Um, you know, amazing little piece, uh, kind of like a white paper, of, of, yep. of, if you will. So awesome. And and once again, this is really before CrossFit really hits it big because this is 2007. And I get into the whole thing. I start actually I was working at a Gold's gym and uh, around 2007 and I had gotten my brown belt. And then I got into the whole CrossFit thing. I was doing main site wads and then had with a buddy of mine at the gym. He gets into CrossFit. We wind up uh, getting level one and then just getting into the whole thing. Uh, but then I kind of, you know, overtrained and this ties into electrolytes really, uh, you know, deeply because when I started doing CrossFit and even like coaching at a box and I'm training jujitsu, like all the time, I overtrained way too easy because yeah. looking back now, I should have just done, um, whatever workout, like we focused on whether it's a strength portion or, you know, Olympic lift and, you know, left the wads alone and just had jujitsu as my wad, if you will. 
Right. You know, because yeah. imagine just doing strength stuff, Olympic lifts, and then doing a wad and then going to train. I mean, jujitsu, you're going to just, you know, kill yourself. Yeah. So I wish not only should I have smartly done it a little bit better as far as my own training. Uh, I mean, I, I felt strong as hell. Don't get me wrong, but I just was getting injured and overtrained. But uh, on top of that, if I had any of the, well, you know, recovery and electrolyte knowledge from you, I would have been way better off. Well, I I was not savvy to it back then either. And I I have to give a little hat tip to uh, Greg Glassman. I had mentioned this before we started uh, recording, but it was maybe 2003 or 2004. I was in Santa Cruz chatting with him and we were talking about diet and everything. And Mm -hmm. and, uh, somehow the topic of sodium came up, but he was just making the point that when people shift to a minimally processed whole food diet, which, you, you know, he was a big fan of the zone and it's very similar to the paleo shtick that I'm, I'm kind of a fan of. Um, mm-hmm. But regardless, if you just shift to eating minimally processed foods, you tend to dramatically reduce your sodium intake. And he made the case that when people shifted that 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 way, they improved their diet. Oftentimes they notice feeling awful. Uh, and it, until they they got a minimum of five grams of sodium a day, and five grams of sodium is actually like ten grams of table salt, like uh, very close. And mm. so it, it's an enormous amount. And um, you know, Greg was savvy to that need, and I remember that conversation. I took it in at the moment, but the thing that I didn't do was go home and weigh and measure how much sodium I was actually consuming. I assumed. That I was getting enough and I was getting less than half of what I needed. A thousand grams as like, oh, my God, that's too much salt. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that's one of the funny things is that like even the American Council of Sports Medicine, ACSM, they recognize that hard training athletes, heat, humidity, which I mean, you get to whether you're wearing a gi or not a gi, like it's always hot. It's always humid. Um they they recognize that uh, seven to ten grams of sodium per day is is normal for these hard training athletes, but then at the same time, the medical community will emphatically say that you should get less than two milligram two thousand milligrams two grams of sodium per day. So your output may be as high as ten grams. The recommended input is two grams. Like if if we're <laughs> talking about negative. you know yeah, dollars right. or something, like yeah, it's still negative. You're you're still bankrupt in that that scene. So it's uh, it, because of the the uh, information around sodium and the culture around it and whatnot. It's really hard for people to get it right, and it it, it uh it really should be one of these like super easy things to address, and it it, it is remarkably critical that that folks get it right and uh, you know even though i'm i'm hawking salt these days like i the way that we recommend that folks get the bulk of their salt we want to see it come from food so like 10 olives is a gram of sodium a thousand milligrams a a big pickle is a thousand milligrams uh salami if you have two ounces of salami it's usually about a gram of sodium so there's lots of great dietary sources that also provide some potassium and some magnesium and some other cofactors so Mm -hmm. we really encourage people to get as much of the sodium as they can from dietary sources but you have to you have to pay attention to it you're eating some things that are understood to be pretty high sodium foods Right. So when when I'm dieting and eating super clean, right, I always start craving salt at night, like towards the end yep. of the day. Is there like a good time where you should be intaking that sodium? Is it throughout the day? Is it where your body I, feels it needs it? 
ideally throughout the day, but it's interesting on that nighttime piece um, when we get adequate sodium or the flip side. If we have inadequate sodium when we're heading into the evening, we will tend to see elevated heart rate, elevated cortisol levels, elevated epinephrine. So we're in kind of a fight or flight mode if we mm-hmm. don't have adequate sodium. And so we want to make sure that we do get adequate sodium in the evening in particular because we find that that people will sleep better. We, we've seen folks that really are geeked out on tracking heart rate variability, the HRV, that their HRV will dramatically improve when they, they shift into consistently getting adequate sodium. And that could be as simple as like you, you get a tiny little scant bit of water, you know, like an ounce mm-hmm. of water, and then do a half a teaspoon to a teaspoon and swirl it up in there, shoot it down, and, and people will notice that they do dramatically better with that. Yeah. That's interesting because wow. that's where yeah. I, I always find myself craving it. Oh, it's yeah. like late at night. I'm like, I need sodium. Yeah, even even I think people don't realize like, you know, the electrolyte replenishment, you know, to support their physical activity but and, and, and recovery. But isn't that like even in general, sodium not only play a big role in your cells and life in general, but your digestion. People don't realize, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, everything, like literally every cellular process, the energy to to provide for that is driven by sodium potassium pumps. ATP production is is driven by sodium potassium pumps, uh, absorbing amino acids, sugars, not lipids so much, but like all Mm. of that stuff is driven by by sodium potassium gradients and, and, you know, moving a sodium ion from here to there so that you can carry something with it. You know, most of life occurs due to the shuffling of electrolytes. And I, I was thinking about this and, uh, the, the two most tightly regulated physiological processes are pH and electrolytes. Like I, I, I would argue, I can't think of something more tightly regulated. Like your body doesn't want pH to go up too much or down too much. If it does, you will get sick or die. And on the electrolyte side, the, the same thing will happen. The, the interesting thing about electrolytes, though, is we could be chronically sodium deficient, for example, And you won't see that on a blood test. You will feel it transiently, but what the body will do is pull sodium out of the bones. But when it pulls sodium out of the bones, it also pulls calcium. And so it's thought that this may be one of the big drivers of like osteoporosis, osteopenia. And so you acutely, like if you're running a marathon or doing a triathlon and you're, you're sweating a bunch, losing a lot of sodium and you're drinking plain water, that's a way that you could get electrolytes out of whack sufficiently to get sick or die. But if you if you train hard but don't address electrolytes properly, what will happen is you'll feel like shit for a while. Then you'll feel a little bit better because your body has pulled sodium out of your, your bones. And also it will upregulate things like uh, uh, stress hormones to help you to retain sodium better. So cortisol goes up, epinephrine goes up, uh, uh, basically adrenaline. So there are compensatory mechanisms. But if your body really wants to be kind of happy and and functioning um, with as little stress as possible, Mm -hmm. it really behooves us to just the same as adequate nutrition. Like if you want to to weight cut, you you don't want to do a 50 percent reduction in calories. You want to do like 10 percent in you know, stretch that out over over several weeks so that it's a mild stress, not a crushing stress. And the same thing kind of happens with 
electrolytes ideally were on point with electrolytes more often than not because every little bit of stress that we get is additive that that total allostatic load and so if this is one of these things that you could really easily take off the stress table just get adequate electrolytes then you have some more stress ability to to put out there whether it's training or going mm. to school or dealing with your kids or you know whatever whatever the case may be yeah i i feel like even just thinking of myself when i was you know heavily either either dieting or cleaning up the diet like that's like i think when people get exposed with this electrolyte loss when they don't even realize it like even when i'm eating clean and i'm adding let's say, you know, salt to every meal or adding a little bit of salt in a pinch in a gallon of water, I am still going to be negative and efficient. Yeah. But my training is, is up high. So I think people, you know, they really have to know, like people are so afraid of going high on, on sodium and electrolytes yet. If you're drinking enough water, your body's going to regulate and flush it out via the kidneys. Right. 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 Yeah. And, and if you overshoot on sodium, the kidneys will will generally sort that out pretty quickly. There are sodium sensitive hyper responders, people that when they they over consume sodium, their blood pressure will go up really significantly. But the interesting thing is those folks don't really see their blood pressure go down that much on a low sodium diet. And the likely reason for that is that these people are, are hyperinsulinemic. They have chronically elevated insulin levels. And when insulin is high, then we tend to release this hormone aldosterone and aldosterone causes us to retain sodium. So this is kind of one of the interesting side effects of a lower carb diet is people tend to see their blood pressure decrease. They may pee a lot for the first you know couple of days, first week. It's because their body is is normalizing as they they get their insulin levels uh, better addressed. So it there have been a lot of good randomized controlled trials where they put people with hypertension on low sodium diets. And folks don't really see their blood pressure improve all that much. And it's because sodium, again, what, what the body will do, you they put folks on a no-sodium diet. But what the body does is it pulls sodium out of the bones You're and then it retains it. it. And, and so it, it, it's, a, it's not as big a deal about how much you take in at that point. It's how much you're retaining. And so the body is still in this kind of disordered state of having too much insulin. The flip side of this is that people on low-carb diets, which I, I've eaten that way for a long time, and I, I tend to feel good on it, your need for sodium dramatically increases on that. So, mm-hmm. you know, for like a, a combat athlete, I think it's hard to fuel something like jujitsu with a, a low-carb diet, although people forget that um, the low-carb diet that like a, a desk jockey programmer needs may be different than like a jujitsu player, like somebody doing jujitsu several hours a day and eating 200 grams of carbs. That's still low carb compared to what most people right. eat under that context, yeah. but it's very high carb compared to the computer programmer, but you have two totally different work outputs there, but the, yeah. the lower carb person generally will need more sodium across the board. Well, and I think that's why we see so many of these medical things saying like you need very little sodium or because they're basing it on the average person who's not getting enough exercise, you know, who's not burning enough calories throughout the day. Right, right. And they're just chronically overeating. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. And even yeah. even if somebody is knowledgeable of recovery replenishment electrolytes and they're on a specific, you know, low carb or whatever they're following and they do get enough of let's say they just put like a, a sea salt uh in in their food and they're getting enough as far as the levels, aren't they still missing like cuz element has the three parts to it. It's got the, the uh, potassium too. There's other electrolytes yep. than just sodium and salt that are play a big role. They do I'll be honest, though, like if I if somebody held a gun to my head and they said, do you need the potassium and the magnesium in there to get, say, like 95 percent of the efficacy of what the product is? The honest answer is no. Hmm. But nobody in the right mind would have bought something with only sodium in it. So the potassium and magnesium, they are important. People are Hmm. typically deficient in them. I do think that they play an important role. But um it's really the sodium like the sodium is the the big big piece to that you know um again it's interesting and i i had not studied electrolyte metabolism in 20 years when we got ready to to when we decided that we were going to head down this this road and so like i grabbed a textbook of medical physiology and started reading on on kind of uh renal physiology and electrolytes and uh uh you know well, what is dehydration versus proper hydration and all, all these sorts of things um some review papers on on electrolyte metabolism and what was fascinating is that the the sodium is just this linchpin like if you are on point with electric with sodium the body is really good at kind of sorting everything else out And uh, uh, yes, we should eat more whole foods. Yes, we benefit from adequate potassium intake without a doubt. Like that stuff's all important. But um, but if you don't get the sodium right, then it's almost impossible to fix everything else like that. It's it's more dangerous to be under sodiumed than over sodiumed in relative uh, amounts. Yeah. Yeah. So is there like a proportion of sodium to water like, you know, that it that. I don't know if I'm asking the question right, but you get my point. Like you're taking yeah. so much sodium versus I should drink like a gallon of water a day or if I'm taking this much sodium and I should only drink half a gallon. Yeah, yeah. So th- this is um, isotonic versus hypertonic versus hypotonic solution. So isotonic is is the amount of dissolved stuff that we would have in our body. And it's very easy for uh, – like an isotonic solution, it doesn't disturb the body when you when you consume it. it uh, like a a hypertonic solution, like a very concentrated salt or sugar solution, will cause gut distress because the body is actually trying to pull water out of the body to dilute what is in the gut. The flip side is that a hypotonic solution. Uh, if it's too hypotonic, then we're overwhelming the body with water and not putting in enough electrolytes or, or you know, glucose or, or whatever the thing is. And the approximate ratio for an isotonic solution of sodium is for every one liter of liquid, you have about nine grams of sodium, which is a lot. Or nine grams of sodium chloride, which is about half of that. Um, so it would be like taking about an element and a half, maybe a little bit more than that per every liter of water. But but you don't have to do it exactly perfect with that. Again, you know, so long as we provide adequate sodium, the kidneys will ramp things up and they can they can excrete some water absent sodium and retain that sodium to to make things work. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. And then I think even myself too, and, and, and people that aren't knowledgeable, I think they, you know, you always hear, even in like, uh, you know, bro science, it's like, uh, you don't want to have, you get too much salt, you're going to puff up, you're going to be, you right. know, uh, and, but is that still somebody with not enough sodium? Like in other words, or just not enough water in relation to their sodium intake, like, you know? That, that's a really good question. And it, most folks will probably be able to, to, uh, kind of relate with this like think about a time where you went hiking and the only thing you took with you was water and usually by the end of the day your hands are swelling and like your feet are swelling and it's because we're actually deficient in sodium and potassium is too high and we start getting all kinds of different swelling like uh, of our hands cerebral edema which is uh, brain swelling so interestingly the inadequate sodium is generally more of a problem from that like you know swollen hands swollen feet uh when people are in you know really dire straits with a kidney function and they're on dialysis sodium is important but they really look super closely at potassium because potassium imbalances are the things that will kill you. And excess potassium is a thing that will really kill people. Uh, it, again, uh, cardiac function, like the, the uh, lethal injection is a big bolus of, of potassium. It causes the heart to cramp and then it, it, it's done. Wow, I didn't know um, that. Um, didn't yeah. Know that and, and so it's, it, it's interesting, like, it, you know, and, and most people eat too much processed foods and they don't get enough potassium. They get arguably maybe too much sodium relative to potassium in that context of uh, overly processed foods. But the thing that could kill you like in a matter of hours or minutes is way too much potassium absent adequate sodium. So it, it's uh, mm. it, it, it's like everything is so broken in our nutrition world that it's hard to really get like a, a, a good like North stars like, OK, what, where the hell do I go? Like what what mm. is the orienting feature here? Because on the one hand, our our diets generally are train wrecks and it's full of hyper palatable, highly processed foods. We don't mm. get enough potassium. We don't get enough magnesium from that. But then the flip side is that when people start cleaning up their diet they tend to get totally inadequate sodium, which may overall be even more dangerous than the, the inadequate potassium. And, and they, and they think they're doing the right thing, which, you know, like I, I just can't believe that how, like, even just me, it's like, Oh, okay. You gotta, when you're cleaning up your diet, you want to like say shred up or whatever. Okay. Lay off the salt and then right. you know, get a lot of water and clean food. And meanwhile, you feel like sometimes I almost felt like I was popping up even more. Yeah. <laughs> and you probably were. And uh, there's a, a really interesting smart dude, uh, Stan Efferding. He's he's kind of like a power bodybuilder guy, big, huge dude. And he's been talking about salt loading and bodybuilding and powerlifting and performance for a long time. And he was um, he was really fringe when he first started out on this. But like he's he's uh, like so many things he's moving to the center of the bullseye moving to the mainstream in, in uh, because I, I think his physiology for this stuff is just spot on, you know, and he's not a, a low carb athlete by any means, but even then he still makes the case that uh, for different performance aesthetics and, and uh, um, you know, just, just how you're feeling in the gym and just in, in, in life in general, that it's really improved with adequate sodium. And he's recommending, you know, 10 plus grams of sodium per day for, for larger strength athletes. Yeah. Yeah. He's really aggressive on it. 
Yeah, yeah. it makes sense. If you're burning a lot of calories, you're, you're going to need it. You know? Well, the thing. You know, we're talking highly active individuals, and specifically on this podcast mm-hmm. for the, you know, your average jujitsu practitioner who's rolling hard two to three times a week or more, you know, if they haven't tried Element yet or gotten their hands on your product to add that to a bottle of water, um, what outside of that would you recommend an ath- a general athlete that's, you know, or, or a general practitioner, I, sh- I should say, not even a competitor, uh, how would you recommend that somebody that generally, again, is eating somewhat okay, they're not off the wall with their processed foods, even just add, like, what would you recommend just adding salt to their water? So, you know, a couple of ways you could tackle this, and I think a smart way to do it, it's a little bit of work, but use a, a free app like Chronometer, which documents all of your food, all of your electrolytes, and input everything into that. And it will tell you your protein, carbs, fat, but it will tell you your sodium, potassium, magnesium, and calcium. Then we have a legit baseline and we're not guessing. This is where I screwed this up forever. Like in 2005 or three, whenever I talked to Greg Glassman, had I just sat down and like weighed and measured my food and paid attention to what I was eating, I could have cut 20 years off of like flailing around and and suffering, Mm -hmm. you know? And, And so for... Two or three days worth of effort will get a a legit baseline of where folks are. And what I would recommend is that folks make sure that they're getting at least five grams of sodium per day as a minimum. And some people may need double than that. And very occasionally, people will need even a little bit more than that, uh, uh, depending on the size, heat, humidity, all that type of stuff. Like uh, we do, we try to do most years, go do a Henry Aiken's jiu-jitsu camp down in Costa Rica. And it's an awesome setup. It's this open-air facility, but it's uh, you get a breeze through there, but the breeze is 94 degrees. The humidity <laughs> is 98 percent. Right. And we're wearing geese for the whole time, you know, and it's like three hours in the morning, two hours in the in the evening. And I'll end up doing 15 grams of sodium on on those days total. You know, like I'll do three or four elements during the the three hours in the morning and two or three of them later. And then I'm kind of filling in in between as well and if i don't do that and we we saw it uh people are cramping they get brain fog and lethargy and fatigue and and when they get on point with the electrolytes like it's just magic it's like a light switch is flipped so i would really recommend that folks weigh and measure their food and their electrolyte intake and and make sure they're getting between at least five grams of sodium and then play with whether or not they need need more and uh oh yeah yeah, yeah. I, I say you brought up an interesting point. Like a lot of people, they're not tracking it, right? They're right. not tracking how much energy they're burning. They're not tracking how much fuel they're putting in them into their bodies. How much, you know, whatever, you know, how much salt. They're not tracking it. And if you track it, you're able to adjust it and see how yeah. you felt that day, you know, versus the next day. Mm. Yeah, even, for even sure. With the tracking, there's people that do are really adamant about this, and they track and they can see how much sodium they're taking in, but then they don't realize how much they're depleting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. And, and that's where it, like I, I like the tracking to establish a baseline. Yeah. And then what I really encourage people to do is just feel what it's like when you're on point. Mm-hmm. So like uh, so if folks go to uh, drinkelement.com forward slash homebrew, we have all these recipe guides for how to make this stuff at home. Like you take your own sodium potassium chloride from no salt, some magnesium citrate, mix it all up, you know, lemon juice, stevia. But when people, this was the crazy thing for me is that my coaches told me, 
go drink some pickle juice before your next jujitsu class. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. And I did it. And I was like, oh my God, because (laughs) it was just like, I had this low gear. I, I, I didn't fatigue the way I normally did. Like normally I, I, I try to play a relaxed game anyway, cause I'm almost, I'm going to be 50 in a couple of days. I want to do this for a long time. I wanted a, a, as minimally attribute based game as I can, but there's sometimes when you got to hustle, there's sometimes when you got to scramble or you end up in even worse shit than, you know, had you, <laughs> had you just not like saved yourself a little bit. And I would, because of eating this low carb diet without adequate sodium, I, I would just get mauled because I, I was so worried about gassing. Mm-hmm. And then when I drank this pickle juice, I was like, oh my God, there's this, there's this whole like other gear oh, that, that exists. Well, I got to back you up on that one. Cause I've done that. I've done taking like the organic, really good, like pickles and then literally the juice and even just after post training, how, how good that is. And it's because your body is just so lacking. It, it. is ready for it. Yeah. yeah. It is so and, ready for it. But I can yeah. speak to element because, you know, after teaching classes and then, you know, you do the kids classes and then a the night class and adults, you're just like wipe there's a, there's a specific feeling and you mentioned it, it's that low gear it's like that that feeling that you you want to do something physical and it's because you have enough of that you know that that sodium in there to to, to be able to feel that there's that feeling like oh man shit i don't feel like working out versus man i can keep going and that right. to me and my experience with not being knowledgeable with electrolytes and things like that and then having element is like Man, you you feel like you just have that low gear. It's the best way to describe it. You know? Yeah, and and so what I really encourage folks to do is just experience that state of not feeling like shit, and then try to get back there. You know, yeah. and it, it, it's funny because I'm a co-founder of this company. I have element boxes all over the place, and I can't tell you how often. Like my wife will look at me and she's like, did you have some element today? And I'm like, no. And, and you know, and, and like I'm dragging ass. I'm not feeling good. Like my energy level isn't isn't what it could be. And you just kind of forget to do it. Also, now that I, I live in Montana, when it's cold, I just don't have a desire to drink as much stuff. So like we have a, a chocolate salt and I put that in some some coffee. And so I, I will sip on that a little bit. But it, it's um. It's interesting that uh, if we can get people to get in their body and just feel what feeling good is like, then they can get back to that that thing. And so, it, you know, the the most difficult question for me to answer is like, how much electrolytes do you need? I don't know from from person to person, a moment to moment. Like I know that for most people, they need to be at a minimum of five grams per day. But then from there, it's kind of like, are you a six foot? for male or a five foot two female are you mm. a super sweater like there are some people that just sweat more mm. in volume and they also have like two to three times more sodium in their sweat than other people do mm. like we've we've done some work with some nhl teams that track this and like some of these these bigger hockey players will lose 10 pounds of sweat in the course of a game or a practice and 10 grams of sodium wow you know it's just huge but then you have another guy that looks just like these other dudes, and he's losing half of that, mm-hmm. you know, in the course of a game. So it becomes really individual. Uh, I, I, so uh, I, I've wanted some way to, you know, tell people, okay, you're in this category and you're in that category. But the the best that I've been able to come up with is just encouraging people to experience 
what adequate electrolytes feel like, you know, once it's like you feel good, you're performing good, and then just try to get back to that. And when Mm -hmm. you start feeling a little bit off, that's when you need some pickle juice or like some olives or salami or element or Mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. You know, I think it's, I think it's funny too, how like animals know they naturally need salt and they go to salt licks, but humans are like, no, don't, don't take in any sodium, you know, It's like, why, why would we not follow something that's natural, you know, for, for all living things on the planet, you know? Well, and it's the only nutrient that we have a dedicated sense of taste for. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like if you chewed up a B vitamin, it would taste like chemicals, but there isn't a dedicated sense of taste for that. Whereas like, you know, we have sweet, salty, Mm -hmm. sour umami. So the, the salt flavor is a, a really, really critical Feature sodium is a a uh, it's a vital nutrient. People will die within inadequate levels of it. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, isn't it also one of the first like uh, like I don't I want to say spices, but one of the first things that humans were harvesting, right? Yeah, to bring to yeah. you know, yeah, so not I mean, your salt, right? It's like you're not right, you know, your, your salt. salt. Yeah, but that was one of the first things human beings were going. Okay, we got to collect this and we got to put it on our food, and you know, and and we just more recently have gotten away from okay, we need sodium, but think yeah. about people. 3,000 years ago, would probably burn a lot more energy than most of the, most people do today. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The term salary comes from the, the Roman Empire days when they, they paid soldiers in salt. And so salt yeah. is, ah. is this Latin deal wow. and salary and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So that, that's kind of a fun thing with this company, too, is there's all this kind of fascinating history around mm-hmm. salt and cultural uses of salt and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Wow, that's yeah, that's that's I love all that 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 stuff. You realize the history and how important you know salt was you know in throughout history, kind of gotten away from that, especially for for athletes. Um, yeah. So that that's I mean that's this is exactly why we wanted to have you on. This is all really important stuff for for any athletes, but specifically you know for jujitsu, it's not enough of that information going around. So if this could help with any of that, it's great. I actually want to uh, shift topics a little bit, and one of my things is having been in the whole you know really heavy in the crossfit industry back in the day uh purely the you know how do you see that like as far as the community aspect comparing to jujitsu because to me it's very similar uh you know and you know you go to a crossfit box or in general you know functional fitness you, know, you kind of warm up and you then you have the technique portion you know whether mm-hmm. You see pipe and you're working your Olympic lifts and you're doing your strength stuff. There's a lot of technique oriented around that. And then the wad, and that's like rolling, you know? So when I did, mm-hmm. you know, CrossFit, it was very similar to how a jiu-jitsu class was run. And then like the whole community aspect of it is very similar. I think people can see that. However, I think the business model of CrossFit, how the boxes work, how it's affiliations and not like a cookie cutter franchise, how the CrossFit games work, and or did work uh still yet to come in jujitsu as far yeah as you know it, it in a lot of ways i man that's a really good question and uh uh you know see how jujitsu is so split you know yeah jujitsu split in that um there isn't that one governing body of like crossfit you know uh mm-hmm. although that is happening 
in this scene. So you have like the Florida grid league, which is kind of their interpretation of kind of CrossFit. And they've, they've got some little bit less randomization, um, but some really interesting stuff they're doing. You have like the rogue games and the granite games, which it's CrossFit movements, but it's not under the CrossFit banner, but Mm -hmm. people aren't as provincial about people going from one group to another, one gym to another. Um, That is definitely one thing that's challenging within jujitsu. You know, because there's this whole like lineage and, and if you want to trade, you're a trader. If you yeah, leave, yeah. Where, you and, know. and that's definitely challenging. But I, I think that there is something interesting about jujitsu that there's a uh, there tends to be a longer term investment, in my opinion, generally, um, mm-hmm. because with CrossFit, you could reach a point. And people do do this. They do reach a point with jujitsu where it's two or three people, four people. They they get some mats and they just train in their garage and and that's it. And that's what they do. Um, But it seems to work much better for CrossFit type stuff than it does for jujitsu. Because at some point, you only have four people to train with. (laughs) You know each other's games so well that it's kind of like, what's the point in even doing it? Like you have to Mm. do silly stuff like... I'm going to put, you know, I'm going to hold tennis balls so that I don't have grips so that it changes the game because it just becomes this total groundhog stay deal. And um, I, I really think that a lot of jujitsu schools and similar to what CrossFit needs to do is uh, really run better businesses, like charge more, have bathrooms that are clean enough that you could eat off the floors. And then people are inspired to like be there and spend money there and, right. and stuff like that. Like uh, uh, the the SBGs here in Montana, they offer lifetime memberships. And I, I, I'm not sure what the, the price is, but it, it's, it's, you know, five figure upfront costs to buy yourself a, a lifetime membership at these things. And people do it a lot, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, but they also offer like huge value. Like you re- it's a really well-run scene. Um, there are hard people there. There are tough people, but I, I haven't encountered people that are just like dicks and that are dangerous because they get shuffled out of the yes. out of the program or they just, of, uh, sbgs overseas right there, 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 there are yeah, yeah yeah there's a there's a good number of them overseas so i really think that uh, you know on both sides the funny thing is that jujitsu and crossfit could take a huge page out of like the strip mall karate or taekwondo playbook out of business like there's some systemization that one could do and like really having a nice experience going in and signing up and, and uh, continuity and, you know, like the kids Mm. programs where the, the kids get, they advance within the the kids belt curriculum, but they have these like life skills things that the kids do each month. And this is within Mm. the SBG program, but apparently a lot of Taekwondo schools do this too. So they're getting stripes on both sides of their belt. One for life skills, one for jujitsu. Gotcha. And huh. oh my God, it's good. Like when I first heard about it, I'm like, this is the cheesiest shit that I've ever seen. And then my, my daughters found out about it and they're like, I can get stripes for being a good student. And they're like, aye, aye, <laughs> right. Captain, like I'm going to do this. I'm like, oh my God, like this really works. And the kids right. are really motivated and it makes them hmm. come back. And then it, it, you know, to some degree, it makes the, the lives of the parents easier because their kids are more doing their homework. In everything. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I do think that both sides of this story would really benefit from like run a super, super good business and, and mm-hmm. charge what you're worth and, and deliver, you know, over deliver off of, off of what you're mm-hmm. charging. But, um, 
you know, I, I, for me, the the community out of jujitsu is it, it. Like I said, I, I think at the beginning of the show, it's the reason why we we moved mm-hmm. to this area was because of these these connections that that we had with these people in particular. And uh, uh, I think that if folks can think about that, running a, a brick and mortar, you know, jujitsu program like it, it'll pay off for them in the long run and, and and you know the just back to your question i do think that there's a lot of parallels there and the the interesting thing is that in a in a crossfit gym people are more likely to talk about sleep and food and body composition and all yeah. these other things that i think are really important and i am dumbfounded why martial arts schools don't champion that stuff more you know and if you're not an expert find somebody who can just talk about this stuff or find somebody online that you you like their material and maybe you've got one one vegan guy you like one paleo guy you like and and feed that in a newsletter to your to your patrons but like people join martial arts schools and jujitsu frequently one of the main things that they want to do is get in shape and lose weight and then it's like Never talk about diet. Mm-hmm. Never talk there's, about sleep. There's a lot know? of people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a yeah. lot of people that literally walk in the door. They have no interest in self-defense, but they are interested in learning martial arts, you know, for all the benefits, fitness, right. you know, losing weight, you know, and learning an art at the same time that, you know, as a secondary effect they can defend themselves but their main right. goal wasn't to come in for self-defense right. and i think that's a good point i mean in the crossfit box it's such a laid-back environment and i i would argue that people don't freely discuss in you know jujitsu classes and martial arts in general because it's a little bit more of a stricter environment especially you know a lot of old school academies where you right. can't really talk during the techniques and stuff right. you talk after the class but i think in crossfit it's you know people are chatting during the during the workout and they're just freely i think it's more of a freely open environment for discussion yeah. um yeah. i think that definitely plays a role with it i also think you made a good point where you're right you, you can't just you know um for the sake of making the bottom dollar and a profit, have a place that looks like crap and you do everything bottom dollar just to get something up and running to maximize your profit. Like you can't charge a, a, a huge monthly tuition or even a year contract, let's say, if you, your place doesn't look like you're using, you know, it like doesn't look like it deserves that. Like, so I think it's a, right. that's a good point you made. You gotta, you gotta have a presentation, you know? Well, yeah. And I think back in the day, it was okay to be like a dirty jujitsu gym that right. smells horrible because there right. was how many of them, right? You right. know, now, now there's a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. Like in the beginning, people would drive hours to get in their jujitsu training. Now people are like, well, this gym is 15 minutes away and has yeah. the kids class in a sauna. And they, you know, right. they start doing the same calculus that they do around like Globo gyms. And stuff I think like, like CrossFit, yeah. the, the automatic, when I got, and I just, I just draw so many parallels because I've been so deep with both, uh, both things that I'm like in CrossFit when you started it was already the general consensus that you can drop into any CrossFit it would be generally the same and it's welcomed and everybody can cross train if you will that to me was clear when I first started like this is the part of the community is training with everybody right you know so I think that is a huge parallel and but at a big difference at the same time that I was like wow jiu-jitsu needs more of that you know, more of like a a, um, a feel that it's it's going to be generally the same. There's no secrets anymore. There's no seeking out, you know, the the Brazilian master in the in the mountains of Brazil kind of thing. Right. Um, and now it, it, it's all over YouTube. The secret is the community you build on yep. those mats. You know. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It, and I I think leaning into that community and then just be you know the again the real 
power I think that CrossFit offers is that so in my second book, Wired to Eat, I, I break things down, you know, for what we need is uh, uh, food, movement, sleep and community. And within a CrossFit box like the, you know, they'll talk about food. The movement is CrossFit and mobility and all that stuff. So that just uh, happens. Um, the community is, you know, part of the, uh, you know, the big reason why you're there. And the smart coach will talk to you about your sleep and circadian rhythm because it's so important for your body composition and all that stuff. And I really think that jujitsu coaches would do well to take a little bit, a, a page out of that like strength coach binder. How are you guys sleeping? How are you recovering? What's your food? What are your overall goals? Like, uh, you know, uh, uh, and you can spin off peripheral programs, like set up a dedicated nutrition program, 30 day resets. Like there's a lot of interesting mm. opportunities there, but so much of the stickiness of CrossFit was because you got all of that stuff in one spot like it was it was like a one-stop shop right. you know if you had a chiropractor there so you could get adjusted and like you you, you man you yeah, you got it all it was that yeah. the yeah. that i worked out at yeah. yeah i mean you're probably getting more nutritional device and sleep advice from your you know junior high uh wrestling coach than <laughs> you know you do at a jiu-jitsu school realistically you know yeah. it's usually like how's your weight cut going at a jiu-jitsu school and that's about it you know yeah and i, I and i think that that's a big failure like i think people right. should step up their games. And I think that it, it would provide a much better offering. And if you aren't the expert, you can outsource that stuff. You can mm. get newsletters yeah. from other people or, you, yeah. you know, um, that's why CrossFit helped me huge in that aspect. Yeah. I, I remember coming up and getting ready for tournaments. The only advice I got to lose weight was eat less, train more. Right. right. And that was it. And just beat yourself up and just train and, 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 you know, kill on the mat to get ready for competition. Then you feel like you can't even fight. I wish I had some element back in the day. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, actually, that's that's one thing that I think is a big, uh, you know, Brian knows it's a big part of my, um, you know, my whole discovery of both journeys lately. And uh, jujitsu motivation does have something coming out to kind of be with all the things we just talked about. And uh, we'll, we'll tell you offline, we're going to be getting ready to release it this year, though. But I think uh, it kind of ties in exactly what we're talking about. We want to throw it by you uh, off air, Rob, see what you think. Okay. Okay. I'm excited because there's a, there's a, there's a desperate need there. Like uh, the congressional budget office, uh, there are these people bean counters in the United States government. They have an estimate that by 2035, the United States will be bankrupt from diabetes related costs. Like we'll, mm. we'll spend more money dealing with diabetes than, than we have. And um, I suspect COVID probably accelerated that. Yeah. But in the back of my head, I've always seen gyms like CrossFit or jujitsu gyms as that that is in my mind, primary care medicine. You go get exercise, you get community, you, you ideally you get some discussion about like good nutrition. And mm -hmm. that is where you get healthy. The doc in the box and your primary care physician is secondary care medicine in my mind. That's when you're sick. That's when something's broken. Like your, your mm. coach is your, your primary care healthcare provider in, yeah. in, in my mind, you know? So yeah. I just feel like there's this huge opportunity for coaches to do more. I think it would make for a more engaging and interesting environment, you know, because you're able to help people with more stuff. I think that there's opportunities to monetize different things, to, to keep people in the gym longer term, to make their lifetime customer valuable value. Mm -hmm more valuable, like just all kinds of win-win everywhere. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
Well, um, I'll just give a shout out where everybody can, you know, keep in touch with you. You, know, you got your personal page, you got uh, Element. Uh, what are those uh, handles on social media? Uh, Element website is drinkelementlmnt.com. Uh, and I do a ton of writing for that. And then it's just robwolf.com. And you can find my links to social. And, and uh, I, I do a pretty good podcast with my wife. It's called the Healthy Rebellion Radio. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'd, I'd love Thank to you, uh, and check all, all those out. I encourage everybody to uh, check all of that out. I think we can use a lot more of that in jujitsu. Um, and yeah, but we're going to be, uh, you know, I'd love to have you back on, you know, periodically, just get some updates and uh, keep in, in touch with what jujitsu people can really do to improve their recovery and training in general. I think this is a huge piece that was missing in my journey. I wish I had done it a lot sooner. I'm glad that I discovered, you know, CrossFit and you, you know, 10 years ago and started implementing it. I just wish I'd done it a lot sooner. I think everybody can benefit from that. So once again, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Huge honor. Anytime you want me to bring down property values, I will do it. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we'll jump offline. We'll chat. I know Brian's got to go, but um, I want to just uh, chat with you for a few minutes, too. Great. So. Great. All right, All right boys. I'm going to jump off. Robbie, it was a pleasure meeting you. Great to meet you.